and turn it up to 10. Sort of like a bad habit, we gon' do it again. Ready or not, we're gonna tie some ends. Go tell a 36, try to grab all the friends. We're back like we never left. On track like a treble clef. Skip a beat on the seventh rest. Bring feast, we don't pass them over. We got the first fruits, no way to show us. This yoke is easy, this burns light. Even with a loud mouth trying to eat at the mic. Even if we down south, the humidity spike. Bales torn in two, so we gon' be all right. It's all grace till the half goes off. Heretics better run till the top blows off. Got them all stood still like a jaw full of Botox. Time to break them down like a jaw on a blow pop. Don't stop, they're in need of it though. Through grace by faith, they could easily grow. New wave, new age, new way to see bro. Now, one truth, life, one way to the throne. Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023. This is Messiah Matters number 424. Trying to secretly watch the IBJJF pans while doing this show live. My name is Caleb Hegg. And uh, I'm Rob Van Hoff without <laughs> a thing to say. So I hope I got all the leg issues fixed I have no uh, during intro, the intro. intro. So while the intro was going, I was working feverishly to get my connection issues fixed. I think... We got it going. So, everybody in nice. the uh, everybody in the chat room, we're, we're gonna hope. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, shout out to everybody in the chat room. Good to see you guys, and to everyone listening later. Thank you for being with us. So, uh, we I have a good friend. <clears throat> I'm good friends with her family. Uh, she is at the IBJJF Pans right now. Actually, she should be on the mat as we speak. So, hoping and praying for her that she has a, a good role. All right. Uh, shout out to the Othley family for their uh, their jujitsu practitionership. All right. Um, yeah, we have an interesting day today. I so at the very last minute we had a bunch of stuff come in that we could talk about, but actually I don't think we're going to get to it. Well, you know, I did have a I did have a question. I, I sent this to you, Caleb. I don't know if you saw it. Um, yeah. It came from a guy named Jeff. And I don't know who he's talking to, but he says, you and your sidekick are two pride-filled frauds. Yeah, I get those daily. And and what's funny is like, I don't know who's who's who here, but I guess we're both uh, pride-filled <laughs> frauds. Yes. Um, I'd prefer like a <laughs> raspberry-filled <laughs> donut. But anyway, what's funny is that we have the automated... <laughs> Automated reply and says, Hi, thanks for contacting us. We've received your message and appreciate you reaching out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. So, so shout out to Jeff David, I think his name is. Um, you and your side for the for the my... for the constructive criticism. That's what I. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, everybody's to each his own. Their, yeah, everybody's got their own opinion. That's totally fine. Um, I don't. Yeah, I I get those messages all like you can leave. <laughs> I get those messages daily, so I'm not, I mean, I just, I stopped responding. All right. Uh, yeah, we don't need to respond. <clears throat> uh, Here we go. I, I liked uh, his wording. You I, can send us unique. direct messages, chegatorresource.com, chegatorresource.com. You can also tell us how much you think we are pride-filled frauds uh, by calling our comments. Yes, and let, that way we can hear the intonation. Yeah, th- that because way we can get the This insults. guy might have been wink, wink, like, yeah, like, not really. <laughs> Doubtful. Uh, but yeah, give us a call, and, and you can you can tell us how much of pride-filled frauds we actually are. 253-465-3205. 253-465-3205. I think what's happening is, is that this person wa- got to the show and realized that uh, there was already th- 36 people listening, and he got upset. And, oh, we, yeah, yeah. Uh, left. could have been that. He didn't want to be, you know, he didn't want to screw it up and be number 37. Okay. Um, also, go to Messiah Matters for past shows and all sorts of fun stuff. And then, of course, as always, this show is produced by TorahResource.com. And it, uh, if you have, if you need resources for, I will plug this in just a second. Um, if you need resources for um, Passover, which is... <sighs> very quickly approaching then it's upon us yeah it is very upon us then uh i would encourage you to go to tour resource okay i'm looking for something very specific here and i'm not seeing it oh i'm gonna forget this uh young lady's channel i'll put it in the uh i'll put it in the description so um i did a interview just the other day yesterday with a uh youtuber who I've known for quite some time, but she she uh, has a YouTube channel all about homeschooling, and so we talked about the festivals and all sorts of stuff. I, as I said, I the name of her I always get the name of her YouTube channel wrong, and so I apologize for that. But I will put the link in the um, in the description of this video, and you should be able to see that interview uh, tomorrow. I think it airs tomorrow on her YouTube channel. So uh, we talked about homeschooling and the cool, uh, festivals and all sorts of stuff. So yeah, it was a it was a fun little interview. And uh, I hope that a lot of people are able to see that. Okay. Um, should we jump in? Should we just jump right in? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. This is right up my my alley in terms of fun theology. Sean Fisher, who is often in the chat room, and I'm not sure if he is today. It doesn't look like he is, but I could be wrong. Sean wrote, and he said, my concern with the new perspective on Paul. Now, I suppose we should give some backstory for anyone who um, who listens to the show mm. on the regular. Uh, you can tune out for about 30 seconds. I'm going to try to give you a, a very quick rundown of what I said about the new perspective on Paul. The new perspective on Paul, at least the aspect that we have talked about recently on the show, is that uh, in the first century... There was not a large push for works-based salvation. That is, that if you do the Torah, you will be saved. Rather, the new perspective on Paul suggests, and this was put forward, I believe, first by E.P. Sanders, picked up by people like Jimmy Dunn, N.T. Wright, so on and so forth. Um, the This aspect of the new perspective on Paul says, no, actually what was going on is that there was a, uh, a bloodline salvation teaching. If you are Jewish, you are in. If you are not Jewish, you are out. The only way that you can become in to the covenant membership with God is to become, quote-unquote, Jewish. They meant actually by blood, which was something that they did through a man-made ritual of conversion. Okay, so now that everyone's caught up, and before we go on, let me say this. Uh, my son wanted to be able to put uh, put in video effects for our Super Chats. Um, oh, let's see cool. here. Uh, we got a super chat here. Super chat. Here we go. Shabbos, Shabbos. Weights and measures. You've been blessed. Thank you. Love is bigger for the super chat. Okay. Back to Sean's uh, comments. My concern with the new perspective on Paul stuff is that it seems to be at odds with the text itself and it takes away the grounding for salvation by faith. Here's my thinking. 
if anybody was teaching that you are saved by doing works, then what is the meaning of the passages that address that salvation is not by works uh, that we have done? Who is Paul responding to if that is nobody's view? So I think we actually named this show after this comment, all the passages, like all the passages about salvation by faith alone or salvation by works. And the reason why we named it that, or I named it that, um, is because, we, and this is not a dig on Sean, um, but we would actually, I think it's important to take the passages uh, individually, because I think depending on the letter, depending on the book, depending on the conversation or the uh, whatever may be happening in the context of these passages, each one needs to be taken individually. You can't simply make blanket statements like all the passages about, we need to actually look at each one of them. So I would encourage people like Sean, if, if you have verses in mind, you know, to be able to, to hone in on some of those is, uh, I think, important so that we can kind of maybe get a, an idea of, of the different uh, views that are going on here. But no, no, nonetheless, let's keep going. And furthermore, this is Sean, by the way, and furthermore, what texts do we appeal to when somebody suggests salvation is by works? if we are presupposing that nobody held that view in the first century, and therefore the texts that seem to be addressing it are not, because as per new perspective on Paul, says that uh, that w nobody was, that that was, wasn't anybody's view. I'm smoothing that out at the end. Okay. Oh, I'm, thank you very much. Living with Eve. <clears throat> That's the name of the YouTube channel that did the uh, interview with me. Thank you very much. Living with Eve. Okay. So... New perspective on Paul. I'm going to go first, and then I will shoot this over to you. Uh, oh, I've had this banner up the whole time. Um, okay, here's the thing, is that uh, Rob is going to be able to speak to specific passages, I think, a lot better than me, in terms of, ter of, of phrases like works of the law. That is an entire study unto itself, and I'm going to let Rob describe his view and what I think has become a, a pretty strong view of the term works of the law. With that said, what I'm going to simply say here is this. I, 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 don't, I think that there is a little bit missed here in that becoming Jewish, quote unquote, which I, everyone knows I don't think you can actually become Jewish, but becoming Jewish requires what? It requires a work. It requires, according to the first century, it, it, the first century Jewish perspectives, it required a ritual of conversion, including the act of circumcision. Paul talks directly against this in Galatians 3, right? That Abraham was saved by faith before he did a work. And what was the work that he uses? He uses the work of circumcision as that benchmark, as the as the as the work of, that uh, is being done. So I agree. It's not, this, it's not the, the, that there wasn't some idea of works save me. In other words, if you wanted to become, uh, if you wanted to become a covenant member, what did you have to do? You, according to first century Judaisms, you had to do various works to be in covenant with God. And what Paul continues to tell us is no, a person, whether Jew or Gentile, is not saved by bloodline. They're not saved by works. They're not saved by doing anything. They're saved by faith. They're saved by faith in Christ. That doesn't mean that a Jew is automatically in because of bloodline. I think that this is predominantly what is going on in Romans 9, 10, 11, and then in Galatians, right? That Jews are not just in covenant uh, in terms of the new covenant because they are Jewish, and Gentiles do not get in by doing works. Rather, we are saved by faith alone. So I think that that is the, I, I think that there is a missed element here. The new perspective on Paul doesn't say that there wasn't any works-based salvation teaching going on, but rather that there is a shift in understanding how Judaism dealt with works-based salvation. Rob? Yeah, there's a lot, a lot to talk about. Um, hopefully my brain, which is a rabbit trail brain, by the way, if you don't know me already, <laughs> thousand thoughts at once, pick one, the, uh, <laughs> back to the seventies. I think, I think, uh, Paul and Palestinian Jews and by EP Sanders was like 1977. Yep. 
And this idea of the new perspective on Paul emerged from that. And then you have revised new perspective or the new, new perspective. It's almost like translation, like the new NRSV or the NRSV 2020. Okay, so look at it more rather than a clear definition of what, quote, the new perspective on Paul is, rather look at it as a transformation of how the act, primarily the academic world of Bible scholarship is retooling or remodeling what boots on the ground Judaism's looked like in Yeshua's day. And the transformation is on the one hand would be like, I think a milestone that or not a monument, I would say monumental, not because it's good, but because it, it is, uh, it exemplifies the position would be Luther's commentary on Galatians. Right. And I think yeah, if I good. remember right, it's been many years, I think E.P. Sanders address, he comes from a Lutheran tradition, if I remember. And I remember he talks about the Lutheran and then the subsequent scholarship, German scholarship on Paul. And, and basically the, the, the nodal point with Luther's commentary on Galatians is it reads, he, he reads as if Paul's writing against Catholics, the Pope and the Roman Catholicism, and that Paul is like the reformer. Paul is like the, Paul plays the role of the, the 15th century reformer and the, the, Jews that he's that he's projecting Paul's talking about are the troublers are the Pope and his <clears throat> his huge system. And what E.P. Sanders says, okay, so well, well, we can notice that what Luther does, Luther's not really reading Galatians here. He's reading his he's he's using Galatians to interpret his own historical situation. Right, and because he's doing that, he's got a bit of a. And this is not Sanders' words, mine, but I'm just kind of characterizing it. I think Sanders would say Luther had a kind of plank in his eye when it came to actually discerning nuance about first century Judaism. First of all, because he was totally in the middle of a battle with a huge mother church institution. And he was trying to learn how to talk about righteousness by faith that he knew at a gut level undercut. It undermined the claim of the Latin tradition and all the penances and, and all the, the adoration of relics and, and veneration of statue. Right? All, Paul understood the truth, or sorry, Luther got it at a, at a core intuitive level, but when he went to articulate it, he got it wrong. The articulation made people think that Judaism in, in Paul's day was just like the Pope and the Catholic Church, just with the different names and titles. What, what Sanders does, he looks back and he's like, look, particularly in the, in the Protestant and, and kind of the university from, from Europe and into America of the scholarship of, of the ancient Judaism or ancient world that Yeshua lived in, we, need a, we have more texts now. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls now. We have all sorts of stuff that Luther didn't even know existed. And we need to like, we need to knock Luther's picture down and we need to come up with a new perspective on Paul. And, and so from there on, from the seventies to the now almost 50 years, 40 years plus, we have had, especially in the nineties, you had pretty much all the Dead Sea Scrolls have been published and scoured out and available. Um, other things have been uh, discovered in advance, learning about um, how how the ancient Greek language works, how, you know, the sectarianism, all this kind of stuff, which is even beyond what Sanders ever right. imagined in the 70s. And right. so I don't look at new perspective on Paul as, a, as like a defined statement of like it's, okay, Jews didn't believe that, therefore... But rather, what he was doing, he was trying to move forward, trying to say, look, we need to tear down Luther's picture, and we need to advance some definitions that are more rooted in actual texts that we know from the period. And so, so I, 
Sanders was just trying to wait, make his way into new territory. So he was a pioneer, but by no means would I recommend someone to look to Sanders as an authority, as a definitive authority, because there's so many, his, his own students and his own student students have gone on and really clarified that there is such a variety, even with the conversion. We know now that there were, there were Jewish groups that conversion was not an option. There was no such thing as conversion. It didn't matter if you, you know, had a million dollar, million uh, denarii and circumcise yourself and all this. They'd say, sorry, if you're not, if you're not born from the stock of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's no salvation for you. The covenant's not for you. And then you had various, various views depending on, you know, what group you were, you would have uh, been listening to. So, but so we. Sanders is like a, a little mile marker on a larger move in the academic world to come up with a better, increasingly accurate and granular models for understanding first century or second temple period more broadly and, and even post temple destruction that uh, models that account for more and more of the text and archaeological evidence and, and this is and this that, is one that's of, where that's where we are so the new perspective that, that, on paul is from sanders is just a little milestone in that big move that's one of the reasons that, that i said that i say that each individual like someone can say well all the verses that talk about salvation by works are all the verses that talk about salvation by faith once again you know when and i'll kick this back to you in just a second i don't want to i want you to keep going with this but as, as we look at each uh, individual, not only each individual passage, but each individual book that Paul is writing, yeah, okay, right. each mm-hmm. one may be dealing with something different. And so when we're talking about salvation by faith, like what exactly is the context of what he's talking about? And the reason this is so very uh, vitally important is because, as our regular listeners know, when we look at something like the word circumcision, this has multiple meanings, Right. The term circumcision is used various ways within the text. So you can't yeah. just take oh, yeah. a you can't take a phrase like, you know, saved by faith or something like that and say, oh, it, you know, it always means this. It may always mean that you're saved by faith. I'm not denying that. But what I'm saying is, is that what is the context that Paul is using it in? And then why is he using it there? And a perfect example of this would be the term works of the law. Do you want to run with that? Yeah, it's just a really great place is to to help that I think is so helpful is in Galatians one where Paul makes a point. He's like, look, a person's either trying to please God or they're trying to please other men. And what, what does he mean by that? And he says, if you're trying to please other men, you cannot be a servant of Messiah. In other words, he, he, he says there's it's one or the other. And what he's saying, what the contrast there is that it is between a, like we know from the Gospels, and an accumulated traditions of men that got so ingrained that it governed people's the Jewish people's thought. Not all Jews, because we know that different groups had different nuance of what they, you know, the big one is Sadducees say there's no resurrection, right? Or, or there's a different calendar. So there's even issues like that. But I'm talking about um, how there are Things like with the hand washing, for example, or fasting, you're, you know, how come the Pharisees are fasting, but you guys aren't fasting, right? Like stuff like this that we know. Um, you didn't wash your hands right, exactly, you know, before the meal. Things that we know are not in the Torah. And we know Yeshua says that there's a difference between the written word of God and then these traditions. Well, what is he talking about? These traditions are a way of talking about a kind of a, an affiliation of men who are the borders, uh, they're, they're the guardians of the borders of who's in and who's out. For that sect. For that for that sect or that local version, that local chapter of the Pharisees or whatever, right? And and so what happens is like you go, well, oh, I want to be acceptable to you guys. Okay, well, you got to do this. This is the whole thing. Back to your point about conversion to Judaism. All it is, what is conversion to Judaism in the world? We know people today who are supposedly believers who convert to Judaism, what does it mean? It means there's a there's a loosely affiliated gang of rabbis that don't even really <laughs> stay on the same page with each other, right? But they pay people, or people pay them. They go, okay, do this, this, and this. Uh, loosely you're in. affiliated never, g- gang never of rabbis. Ch- okay, wait a minute. Never check uh. in on them again. 
right? right. There's no discipleship. Right. It's not like right. you're joining the, the rabbi's community. You know what I mean? It's like he, oh, I'm just going to convert under you, pay you, disappear, never talk to you again. But now I can move to Israel, right? And I can call myself Jewish. Why? Not because it's my relationship with God. It's because I jumped through whatever hoop so that this loosely affiliated network of rabbis won't question my identity. In other words, they have, I'm trying to seek the approval of an earthly group, loosely affiliated network, right? I'm trying to, I'm trying to look good in their eyes and get their piece of paper with a stamp of approval or a signature that then that now is my identity. Yeshua was against that. So, but I think Paul was against that. He says, because now you're, you can't be a servant of Yeshua and seek to please men at the same time. But I think especially if someone says that they have to like somehow pretend that they're not a believer in Yeshua, if they think that their membership acceptability is contingent upon them not being labeled as a Christian, right? Because you can't now now this this loosely affiliated network of rabbis, it moves over time between more stringent in power and more and less stringent in power. And this is this it has nothing to do with Christianity or belief. This has to do with even between the ultra orthodox and let's say the reform, you know, or you know, new liberal Jews in America. They'll say, "Well, you're not even Jewish, right?" Well, wait a minute. What do you mean I'm not Jewish? Right? It's a Jewish problem, right? It's a problem in the middle of the Jewish world. Then you add a person born in America who's like, "Oh, I think I'm Jewish." You know, my great 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 someone I think was Jewish. I'm going to convert. They don't go to the ultra orthodox. They're going to go to the most lenient uh, kind of part of the affiliation to get their to get their little pick their little their little uh, little uh, plaque. What do you call it? Their little plaque, their little graduation thing, and then they're you know, but but in a time where the state of Israel has a more uh, more ultra right. A, a leadership in terms of the rabbinate, that's going to be harder for them to make Aliyah. Okay, hang on just a sec. So we, we need to rein this in a little bit, though. What does this have to do with the term works of the law? Okay, works of the law in the in Paul refers to a, a similar situation where you had, and we have it at, at Qumran, it's called the Halakhic letter. It is um, rules by which the we this loosely this affiliated group of leaders accepts you as righteous accepts you as an insider it would be like i knew someone who was in a mormon once and they talked about being a good standing to be a mormon in good standing you had you had to do work what paul would kind of call a kind of type of works of the law you they had to know your taxes and how much you were paying and you had to do all these things you you know and if you if you checked all these boxes, they would say, okay, you are a member in good standing. Well, member in good standing is is just synonymous with righteous in the first century. But not, but but that's not righteous in God's eyes. That's Paul's point. You if 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 you what man calls righteous and what God calls righteous are two completely different categories. And what Yeshua and Paul is going to point us to is that it's the Torah, it's the written revealed word of God that that matters, not the accumulated traditions where they try to attribute holiness and righteousness to things. It's like they hijack those terms and apply them in a way that has appeal because like, oh, they're safe. There's a sense of like, if I go and I, I have this membership or this kind of social affiliation with this group, you know, they seem like they know what they're doing or... I'll be safe. I'll, I'll feel like I belong and I'm accepted. And those are all, you know, kind of psychological needs that Paul says, you know, that's that that's not where that's not what the gospel's about. Okay, know? but I think I think it's vitally important that people understand this particular piece of information. The term works of the law is used at Qumran in the community letter. I think it, there's 16 laws that are given. Not yeah, one yeah. of them. Not well, one of them ca- is. And their calendar's one of it. Like if Hang you on, don't just wait, 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 wait. It's vitally important to understand this. Not one of the laws that they list are in the Torah. So the term right. "works of the law" refers to man-made tradition. It does not refer to actual commandments found in Torah. 
Now go back and read some of the letters of Paul, understanding that the term works of the law means man-made tradition. Right. And people might push on that, but there is, I mean, there is significant evidence from the first century that would support yeah, the, yeah. the idea that the term works of the law does not mean uh, commandments found in the Torah. That, that, that doesn't mean, it's also important to note that that doesn't mean that Paul doesn't uh, sometimes refer, refer to certain commandments and say, this isn't going to save you. For instance, circumcision, which he talks about in, you know, Abraham was circumcised after he came to faith. So this work is not going to save you. But the term right. works of the law that we find throughout Paul's letters should be interpreted man-made tradition. Right. And, and Paul does use works over uh, over faith, um, like in the end of, I think, Romans, is it Romans 3? Is it, a, is it a Torah of works or a Torah of, we established a Torah, but is it a Torah of works? No, it's a Torah of faith. And so what does this mean? Well, when he talks about works there, there he does address this idea that works without faith, like faith require, uh, works, that means the doing of, the doing of any commandment for God. Because it has, it has that general meaning, the, a person doing a commandment as if unto God, okay? Well, the problem is externally, like we know, you know, there, there's people who Yeshua says how many, throughout Matthew 23, you know, you, you're like a cup that's really clean on the outside, but inside it's unclean. You know, you're like a whitewashed sepulcher, you know, nice and shiny on the outside and clean, but full of uncleanness and dead man's bones on the inside. So... So the idea of uh, of that inner versus outer deal, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What sometimes works is used to talk about people to to talk about that, this outer appearance, like in in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. They love to be they love to be called rabbi. They love to be praying in the streets to be seen by men. But he's like, don't be like them. Don't be like them. So that's Paul does use works for that that kind of uh, warning, but works of the law specifically, like Caleb just said, is a, a a phrase that I believe had currency. People thought, oh, that there's like you have to be acceptable to the the religious authorities by their additional kind of rules. This bears on the Acts 15 too, because then the question is, well, is the apostolic decree the, and it's called a dogma, is it works of the law? Is it additional commandments not given uh, to, in order to communicate, establish oneself as righteous in the eyes of others? Or is it an expression of, is it like boil down key points for a Gentile who's going to participate in a in a new culture because they they're coming from paganism and they need some sort of bullet points to help them orient themselves. And I, I'm, I'm of that thought. So that what you're talking about right now in the chat room is, is uh, discussing this as well. Uh, Johnny asks, Rob, how would you explain Paul circumcising Timothy? Did he do this to appease the Jews? I think that there's, there could be several different understandings of this. My personal understanding, and I'll kick this over to Rob in just a second, but my personal, my personal belief is that he actually puts Timothy through, and I, this is controversial, but I think he actually puts him through the man-made ritual of conversion. And I think that he does that so that they can go into the synagogue and the Jews won't. I mean, if Paul walks in with a Gentile, He's not getting anywhere. That Gentile is not, I don't think he's able to even talk to the Jews. And so that's why I think that it's possible that Paul may have circumcised Timothy ritually uh, so that he had some clout with the Jews. Do you agree with yeah, that, Rob? Yeah, I think, I think, um, I, I would, I take a few things into consideration. One is that I, I first of all, it's a great question because it's super important. Acts 16, because it's right on the hill, heels of Acts 15. As a matter of fact, Acts 16 is in is in the is in the uh wake of the Apostolic Council, and they're taking that letter from James and they're they're distributing it, right? It's in that context that he that Timothy he circumcised Timothy. We have to remember Timothy, we know from his epistles of Timothy that his not only his mother, but his grandmother. So is it Eunice and Lois? Um, were believers, and they were Jewish, of course, and they um, taught him from his youth. So he knew the scriptures. 
Timothy lived in a Jewish community, but he had a stigma on him because his father was Greek and the community, he was in a suspicious category. And so his whole life growing up, he would have been kind of treated as like, yeah, we're not sure about you. I think you that can, was a real. You can be in. You can be in the seat, but you can't come read the Torah up front, or you can't yeah, have a bar. Some, I mean, we like see that. this today, right? And, and I yeah. think that Timothy accepted growing up, whatever community he was in, because remember they, they didn't. It wasn't a gospel based community then. It was, you right. know. But I obviously Paul affirms the faith of his grandmother and his mother, and that's super important. So Timothy grows up with this stigma, and Paul comes and is like. Paul's like, man, nobody has a heart to father this child, like to take him. And and so the circumcision was something, A, I believe Timothy desired, but he wasn't going to do it himself. And he was in a socially, he was just like in a predicament, like socially, like, what am I going to do? If I go do it myself, they're going to say, oh, you know, it wasn't official. Paul comes in and like a, like a loving father takes him under his wing and, and, circumcises him. Uh, I don't, now you might call it conversion. I think Paul, by circumcising Timothy, just affirms Timothy as a covenant member. Um, but it was seen as legitimate by the Jews. I think that that's the, that's the point in my, in my book. It's, I think he would have circumcised Timothy anyway. I think he, I think, uh, absolutely. But that's what I mean by yeah. legitimate. In other words, he does it in a way that the Jew, it, like the Jews accept it. It wasn't just like, hey, we're going to go in the back room and snip, snip, and now it, we affirm something that, like, I yeah, think that yeah. that was... And that I think was, that, I and I think, I think it's a good point, and Paul, they would have respected Paul's authority. The the Jewish leaders in that town would have gone, oh, wow. Right. Paul, like, he learned from Gamaliel, and like, like, like this, now all of a sudden, Timothy goes from the back corner of the synagogue to, hey, man, you belong up here. Boom. And now they're all like going, wow. And yeah. they, I think it kind of put them in their place a little bit. I mean, I'm reading into it a little bit, but I can't, I, what I'm not going to say, and I've heard this in the church, that um, that this is Paul going against his own beliefs. Right. Like Paul elsewhere tells, you know, how could Paul on the one hand tell, tell people circumcision is nothing and then circumcise Timothy? Like Paul's, a, you know, people use that to like attack Paul. And I'm like, okay, if, you know, if that's what you want, you know, I'm. I think it's a. a, a to, I think that's a misunderstanding of what yeah, uh, of of how of what Paul is teaching all around. I mean, agreed. It doesn't. I think that Paul thinks. Well, if you go through this ritual of conversion, it means nothing. And if you don't go through that ritual of conversion, it means nothing. It doesn't matter. You're still a covenant member of God. So if I take Timothy through this ritual of conversion, or if I just circumcise him. You know, I'm affirming something that has, and you know, I got this question just the other day. Uh, someone asked me, you know, we got men in our congregation that that are not circumcised. What should we do? And my advice to them is the advice that I give to everyone, which is, as a leader, I think it's uh, good to encourage people to do what the Bible says, obviously, but it's up to them. It's up to them to, and I think that believers will naturally want to come to that uh, at some point, especially those who are coming to an understanding of Torah. But ultimately, you can't force someone to keep kosher. You can't force someone to get uh, right. snipped. You can't force someone to celebrate Passover. You know, you, we do the, these things not because we are forced to. We do these things because we love God and because we want we want to have a relationship with Christ. And we do have, a. and when I say we want to have a relationship with Christ, that doesn't mean that we don't have one. And if we do these works, we're going to. What I mean by that is we long to come, to be close with Christ and do what he has asked us to do. And as the Bible, you know, as the onion uh, layers get taken off and we come closer to, to uh, a better understanding, we understand the things that, that God has asked us to do, and we naturally want to do those. And if that means... Exactly. I, I mean, if, if that, you read, look at the epistles to, to Timothy that Paul writes, and imagine, I mean, the reader's kind of forced to be in Timothy's, to imagine Timothy's perspective, because Timothy's the recip recipient of the epistle. So you're, we're reading, it's like, you know, you're reading from the perspective of 
Timothy, and this is the person who circumcised you, is now giving right. you all this discipleship, like guidance and wisdom and encouragement that goes with the circumcision to affirm Timothy's place uh, uh, and position in the body as a full covenant member without need to be ashamed, without need to be um, to let anybody bully you. And he even says, you know, he equips him at different times saying, look, you know, people are going to like push against your authority, you know, don't let it get to you, you know, that sort of thing. So, right. Um, yeah, exactly. And we, we still see that today within believing communities. I get all the, all the time uh, from messianic rabbis. I'm putting quote marks up for those who are listening to this and not watching it, but I get this all the time. Well, are you Jewish by blood? I'll say something, you know, well, I believe that the Gentiles should keep this, or I believe, you know, whatever it may be. I believe that we're all part of the new covenant, you know, and that it's not time bound. Well, are you even Jewish? As if, as if this is the hermeneutical key. No, to that's a right. work of the law. They're trying to say now, yeah, exactly. in a way, they're on the verge of bringing in a bunch of traditions of man, which is really the rabbi the the rabbi club, right? They're going to bring what in the rabbi. What did you call club. it? Uh, a, a gang of a, a loosely affiliated <laughs> gang of rabbis. Oh my gosh! I want. Well, what I want it, a what else is it? Yeah. Like, what's a better like? There, it's official sounding, you know. But you'll find you you can find rabbis that won't accept the conversions done under other rabbis. You're like, you converted under that guy. <laughs> Not a chance. Yeah. yeah. Forget about it. Yeah. You know, all right. It's that sort of thing. So we yeah. talked for a good 40 minutes on this. Well, 30 minutes on this. Let's, uh, I think, I think that that is good. And I'm sure that we'll probably get some, some uh, more questions and or comments about the new perspective on Paul, what we believe. Well, let me, can, I ask one, or, uh, can I give one Please. more note on this? Go. So on Torah resource under our articles, Tim Haig's got some articles on uh, was Timothy Jewish, that sort of this sort of question or understanding sure, sure, this sure. passage in Acts 16. Um, the, the boil down in the academic world between Jewish Jews, by the way, not believers, but you have a conservative rabbi, Shia Cohen, and uh, I know he's he's Orthodox. I don't know if he's ordained Lawrence Schiffman. I don't know if he's ordained rabbi or not. But he's Orthodox. I mean, he was like provost at Yeshiva University or something like that, right. which is the ortho modern Orthodox in America. So so Schiffman would be a little further to the right than Cohen. But they're both historians of ancient Judaism. Right. So so like, okay, we'll put our we'll put our like halakha aside and we'll try to like be good historians, right? Because you have to know Hebrew and all this stuff. Well, they come down on different, they both talk about was Timothy Jewish. So here you have two non-believing Jews, one modern Orthodox, one, I believe, conservative in America, looking at Acts 16, the first couple of verses, and they're going, hmm, okay, so Paul circumcised this male adult, right? He was, he was, he was adult enough, right? I don't know if he was in older in his teens or young 20s, we don't know, but he's an adult male. And it's, it says that his father was Greek. Well, guess what? Even these two Jewish academic historians who have done their work, right? They know the languages. It's, they do not agree. Shia Cohen, he's on the more, he's the, the conservative rabbi, um, says, no, the matrilineal principle, that is the principle that the rabbis today, this gang of rabbis uses, is that your mother needs to be Jewish, right? Cohen says that was not in place in the first century, in the middle of the first century. It was still patriarchal. That's why the Bible is always the son of some other guy, right? It, it never, you know. And and so his argument is that Timothy um, was not Jewish, I think, is was Cohen's, because his father wasn't Jewish. That Lawrence Schiffman, because he he has an interest in saying no, the rabbinic halakha really goes back back to into, Sinai, yeah, way into the early Second Temple period. He's <clears throat> right. going to say no, the matrilineal 
principle has was always in been. place. Therefore, yeah. Timothy was Jewish. He was just uncircumcised. So this is not even in the church now. This is not even a debate between pastors or Christian commentators. Right. This is two Jews in America, 20th century and the 20th century, looking at Acts 16, and they're saying, you got the guy on the, the Orthodox Jew saying, yeah, his mom was Jewish, so he's Jewish. He just needed to be circumcised. And you have the conservative Jewish historian saying, actually, no, historically, the rabbis don't rise yet. There's, there is no strong rabbinic thing. There is no established halakha. It was, it was just his identity was just, he was just questioned because it was a mix. Uh, his father was Greek. But whether, and so anyway. Yeah. Just Good. a little uh, addendum there. Let's uh, let's move on. What do you say? Sounds so got, good to me. We got two that are interesting. Whiteside says, in the end, Rob mentioned walking with God and God's call to Abraham to walk before him. Is there a significant difference between walking with and walking before? Thanks in advance. Rob? Oh, this is a great question. This, this pertains to, like, if you look in the Hebrew, for example, I think it's like in Genesis 5, it says Enoch walked with Elohim, right? And the verb is lehit halek, which is from halak in the hit pile. And then it's et, with, um, walked with God. And then Noah walked with God. And you have this hit halek. But then when you get to Genesis 17, God says hit halek lifanai, right? Walk before me, he says to Abraham. And so the, the idea is, what's the difference? Well, I think, and then and then if you look later, I want to think. I want to say it's Abraham says the, uh, the the God before whom I have walked, and maybe Jacob also at the end of Genesis says uh, before whom I have walked, something like that. And it uses the lefanai, lefanav. So basically, you have the verb. The basic construction in Hebrew is the verb halak. Hey, Caleb knows what that means. The, the main shorish is hey. Lamed, Kaf. And of course, it can be in a different binyan. Uh, but, and then you have some sort of prepositional phrase, et plus something like with God or with them. Or you can have halak plus a prepositional phrase, lifne, something, lifanav before him, lifanai before me, etc. And so throughout the Tanakh, you have these these two ways of expressing walking. And then you can have halak ba, to walk in the land, for example. You can have a bet preposition, but that doesn't really apply to this. These are both relational, whereas halak be, like walking in the land, that is not relational. That's just locational. Like you're just yeah. walking, it's where you're walking. But when it says hit halak et or lifne, those imply relationship. So they right. so... So the question then is, back to et versus lifne, I take et, we have a place in Samuel. If you remember, there's a time where, remember uh, Abigail and uh, Nabal and uh, David's and his men are fleed, have, are out, you know, basically in hiding from Saul. There's a time where David's men guard Nabal's shepherds and keep them safe while they're out in the, the field and, and they protect him. They protect Nabal's uh, flocks and his shepherds. Well, there's a time where those shepherds are saying, going back to Abigail and they're like, yeah, Nabal really spoke against David, but he was, his men were totally good to us the whole time. And it uses that hit, hit it, as long as we were walking with them, as long as we were, staying close to. And so my interpretation of the Enoch, I just use that as a, an example in, in Samuel to look back at Genesis 5 for uh, Enoch and Noah. It's a similar phrase. I take it to mean, be, so Enoch was close to God or stayed close to God, something like that. Noah stayed close to God. When it comes to the patriarchs, it shifts. It doesn't use, et, it uses lifne because I think it's now zeroed in on a covenant relationship, right? not to dismiss the validity and legitimacy of the, and the genuineness of the relationship that Enoch and Noah had with God, of course, but it's saying, this is now more in my presence. And with, it's like, 
leaf and it has a sense of in my presence, but it also has a sense of before me in that in in a in an exercise of faith, like a in a more courageous uh, posture of bearing a covenant promise in right. faith. And so that's that's how I understand it. When he says, and that's back to circumcision. So Genesis 17 is where he says, walk before me and be blameless. And then he, he gives him his new name. Your name's Abraham. Sarai is Sarah. And you circumcise yourself, uh, circumcise Ishmael. And oh, by the way, you're going to have, you know, Sarah's going to have a baby. You're going to circumcise him, et cetera. So, um, that is strangely, I guess it does tie into circumcision because the idea is to be a courageous, stand courageously in faith on my covenant promises. Right. And and that distinguishes the relationship of the patriarchs with God from like Enoch and Noah. The one thing that your conversation sparked for me was as weird as this is, you were talking about et being with, mm -hmm. right? And it made me think of the people who try to teach the uh, Aleph Tav. And I wonder if, you know, for those who don't know, uh, people take the Aleph Tav, the et, which oftentimes is the sign of the direct object, to be a marker for Christ in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, which we think is absolutely ridiculous. But then the question that, as you said, rightly said, at, can mean with. So do the people who teach this nonsense then include the the times that with is used as a marker of Messiah? Anyway, Dude, I, I was, don't know. I, I was often, I was often, I was I know the, the gymnastics for those people who are anchored on that kind of quote hermeneutic, the gymnastics get more and more uh, um, daring yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and exactly. difficult and twisted. Exactly. Okay, we're going to move on to one more topic, and this is very much my wheelhouse, but this is an easy one. This is, We're going to lob one up right before Passover. <clears throat> and by the way, this is the last show that we'll have before Passover. Next week, we're off, and then we're actually going to take the next week off. We're going to have two weeks off. The reason why is because in two weeks from today, when we're recording this, which is on March 22nd, it will be Nissan 14, which means that night will be Passover, which means my house will be in a complete frantic getting things ready. So <clears throat> nonetheless, we're going to answer this one today. And this is the question. Uh, Jim wrote in and said, if you're keeping Passover outside Israel, this came from our discussion of whether or not um, uh, commandments were only for people in the land or whether or not they were for people outside of the land as well. So uh, I'm sorry, I said Jim, this is actually Joe. Joe writes and he says, if you're keeping Passover outside of Israel, are you supposed to be circumcised? This is a question that we get every single year when Passover is coming up. We get it in all different forms, things like this. We also get uh, it in the form of I'm having a Passover Seder. Uh, I don't know if all the males are circumcised. What do I do? Um, these these are the kind of questions that, that we get. And uh, I will give you my, my answer, and then, of course, I will kick it over to uh, the man himself. So, uh, circumcision is only required to participate in the eating of the Passover sacrifice. And so, if we had a sacrifice, which we don't because the temple is not standing, then a person would have to be circumcised in order to partake in that meal. However, since we do not have a uh, lamb, uh, the, uh, then we, uh, now we get into different territory. And the reason I say different territory is because there is a debate within the church and within the ecclesia of God, the covenant members of God, on whether or not a person needs to um, be in covenant with God to sit down at the Passover table at all. And this comes from uh, 1 Corinthians 10. And when uh, Paul talks about a person eating in an unworthy manner. Uh, this, I think, comes down to each community and what Paul is actually talking about. I personally do not think that a person has to be circumcised, physically circumcised, to sit down and partake in the Passover meal. And beyond that, I don't think that anyone should be standing at the front door at, uh, you know, inspecting the males that come in uh, to, to participate in their Passover Seder uh, to see whether or not they are uh, actually snipped or not. 
Um, so I think that this is the answer yeah. to that is no. All males go yeah. to the right. Go, uh, yeah. meet Caleb go behind the, the curtain, please. No. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I, the, I don't behind the curtain over there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't think that 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 is what needs to take place. The <laughs> the real question that comes in is whether or not a person uh, should be a part of the covenant member, uh, have covenant membership with God. Uh, to, now, and of course, we as as believers can't judge the heart. We can only take it upon what people say. However, we've been asked many times whether or not, you know, I have someone coming to my house who is a woman who is a part of our community. Her husband is not a believer, but she wants to bring him. What do I do? Um, and the answer to that is, I think this comes down to each individual community. I personally, uh, would say bring the unbeliever. Um, and I think that there is multiple reasons why I know that there are people who would say absolutely not because of Paul's, um, because of Paul's, uh, discussion in First Corinthians 10 that people who are unbelievers should never be allowed to come to a Passover Seder. I take a different view of this. Um, obviously, if we had the lamb, it would be different. Um, and so uh, this does get dicey, though, if we, if we are associating First Corinthians 10 with the Passover meal. Now, we've talked at length about this on this show um, in uh, multiple times, and uh, I have suggested that perhaps... First Corinthians 10 is not actually talking about a Passover, the Passover meal itself, but just com the community, uh, fellowship in the community. Um, and I think that that letter has to do with people inside the community and outside the community that are calling themselves community members. Rob, do you want to take it from there? Yeah, I, I take it as, I take the, the Last Supper as the Passover meal. So, I mean, because I know that in the larger Messianic or Hebrew roots, you'll say, oh, no, Jesus' last supper with disciples was the night before the true Passover meal. You know, so so if if you're coming from the position that the last supper is not even really a Passover, that's that changes then your maybe your view on Passover, too. Right. Like you're not you're not thinking about that. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree. Caleb, with what you're saying, I think that, um, and and uh, another footnote on that is that slaughtering and raising a lamb and slaughtering it somewhere in America, you know, and then roasting it and eating that, that is that doesn't. I mean, if that's what if that's what you want to do, you know, go ahead. But that's not the Passover sacrifice, right? The Passover sacrifice has to be done. For it to be called that, it has it, to qualify. It has to be done with the priesthood, right? There's got to be there's got to be an operating um, Levitical priesthood in it, uh, and the temple, you know, at the, at Jerusalem. I mean, it's it's and it's a it's a acknowledged to be that, you know, and that is a um, you know circumcision is is required to participate in that meal. Um, you wonder, okay, well, let's say there's an uncircumcised male in Jerusalem and you have all those things, would he be kicked out of the meal or would they just say, okay, you can have everything, but you can't actually eat the meat? I don't know. I mean, now we're getting into these obscure halakhic story problems, you know, like the rabbis of the Talmud, like, you know. Um, there's a great, there, but in, there is, in the diaspora, the, one question is A, is there a way, is, what is the celebration of diaspora Passover? And then B, is 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 talking about the Passover as the exemplary uh, meal and that that can be rehearsed at different times throughout the year in the same way that in the Torah, in Numbers chapter 9, God gave a, a second pa uh, Pesach Sheni, right? You, there was the second month you could do a Passover if for some reason the person wasn't able to participate in the first Passover because they were unclean because of a dead body, let's say, right? So if if the Torah itself allows for someone to celebrate the Passover, not in the first month, but in the second month due to some circumstance, can that legal um, thought process in the Torah be extended and applied to diaspora where, okay, so we're not... We're not um, in a situation where we're unable or we're disqualified because of impurity 
as a, a you know corpse defilement or something but we're we're but yet we're nevertheless in a similar legal situation because we are disqualified where we've lost our candidacy for other reasons because Israel sinned God took away the temple and so we're we're exempted for another reason but yet God still if God still had a, had a way in the Torah for someone to keep the Passover in the second month is that legal precedent for a, a communion type of remembrance of of Passover that's not in the first month. Does that make sense? So yes, and, um, and I want I want to address one thing in the chat room. Someone says, "Is the seder required during uh, during a Passover meal?" It depends what you mean by that, because in the I think that uh, we have a commandment from Christ. I take uh, Luke uh, twenty two nineteen. Do this in remembrance of me. I take this as bookends. He he has. The the uh, bread that's broken, the matzah that's broken at the in between after the meal, before and after the meal, and the and the cup that's shared, I believe bookends the ceremonial aspects of that meal. So when he says, "Do this in remembrance of me," I don't think he's just simply saying, "Do the Passover." I think he's talking about the the Passover meal that we partake in. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, what that looks like, I don't think that you need to pick up a rabbinic haggadah and stumble through it to fulfill that commandment. I think that sitting down with uh, other people, uh, focusing on not only the exodus from Egypt, but mainly the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, and the work that was done, and and however you do that, whether it's with uh, prayer and hymns and song and all that, those things, that is up to you. Right, However, right. there, there exactly. needs to be a, a ceremonial aspect. Is it in chapter 5 where he says Christ is our, is the Pascha? Yeah, Christ in 1 Corinthians 5, yeah. What does yep. he mean? It means when you're celebrating the meal, you're like, oh, okay, so the blood of the lamb on the door protects us from the wrath of God. Right. Huh. What does that mean? Right. An innocent, uh, you know, innocent blood um, protects my family. And... It's that's it. You know, yeah. And and so there's that discussion and all that stuff. So I, I agree with you, Caleb, that what Paul says, let everything be done in order, right? Even in the church. And what does he mean? It just means we, we want there to be, and he says, I'd rather say five words and under, be understood than a thousand words and not in a strange tongue and not be understood at all. So what's he talking about? He says, you want it to have coherence. You want your meal, and so you want to plan. So, and you don't have to cram a gazillion things because you know that this traditional seder. If you get one from a, you kind of just pull one out of the Orthodox world. I mean, man, some of these, the 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 Pesach, you know, the Shlema, the the or Shalem, the complete Hagadot. You'd be there all like night. super dense, and then you have a couple commentaries and super commentaries on all like, the different things and it's like okay that it's like the that, it's like the com, the comedian maniscalco he's like we got to the passover dinner i sit down they hand out literature i'm like what are we doing here they're like we're gonna read for two hours two hours <laughs> i'm starving okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so so if you're planning a passover seder make it you know, think simply and and think of what you remember what your priorities are and have, be prayerful and 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 uh yeah and make make Yeshua the center and and get some Bible verses in there and and trust God you know and if it's a you know if you're discovering and you you know you're not exactly sure it's okay to be it might it might be a little bumpy and that's okay you know that's right you, okay you'll do it again next year that that is right all right see Hagator resource should the Lord Terry C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Thank you so much. We will be off for two weeks, so we will not be here next week. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, we hope that uh, yeah, we hope that uh, you have a good Passover and we'll be here the week after Passover. All right. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, you know why because Messiah matters. Yeah.